0: Blue Iron. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass caught by Kittle. He dives and he's in.
1: Touchdown. What is up, folks? Welcome again to Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name, is always, is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for NinersNation.com. Joining me tonight, as always, is the quarterback of the press coverage podcast, also on the Blue Wire Network, my friend, my co-host, one Eric underscore Crocker. What's up, bro?
3: 7-0. 7-0, and
1: coming at you with the undefeated intro again
3: man,
1: one of these days we might not have the pleasure of saying that, but for now it's just like we're spoiled we're
3: just- So I, I asked this question on Twitter and I said, you know like what what would it take like what would it take for the 49ers to lose a game like how, how do you think that happens like how do, you, what do what does that look like
1: uh I would probably say it looks like the Pittsburgh Steelers against a better team.
3: OK, you know, what okay, I mean? I Like
1: it, it's something that they've already shown that they can do. I still think that that's like a complete like apparition, like they probably won't do that again for the rest of the season. But I think if you're going to lose, it's going to be like that, you know, like stupid turnovers that give the, the opponent an opportunity to score. And maybe it's against a better team that, you know, because against the Steelers, the 49ers turned the ball over like three or four times in the first half. And they only resulted in like two or three field goals. So it wasn't a huge deal the 49ers were able to pull ahead. But against a better team, you know, maybe like somebody like the Green Bay Packers, the New Orleans Saints, some of these opponents that are coming up, maybe that's that's what does it.
3: Yeah, it, it was four times in the first half against the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Right. So. And, yeah, they, they came up with a grand total of six points, I believe, off of those turnovers. I think the game at halftime, the score was like six to three.
1: Yeah, it was it was super low scoring and, and everybody was basically like the 49ers are lucky to be where they're at, they're at right now. But against a better team, you know, that that might not be the case. And I'm not trying to slight anything about the 49ers right now, because obviously we have nothing but good things to say about them. But and that, you know, the defense is playing at such a high level. Maybe they can get away with stuff like that. Maybe if, even against a better team, that other team isn't going to be able to do anything. I mean, like, look at the Rams. The Rams had one of the best offenses in the NFL and they couldn't do anything against the 49ers. So, you know, maybe they have the ability to, to absorb stuff like that still even against a good team. But I think if, you know, the question being if if you're asking how would it look for the 49ers to lose at this point with the way they're playing, that's what I would say. It's like I don't think they're necessarily going to lose in like a shootout. I think it would be more of like a self-inflicted thing, if that makes sense.
3: Yep, yeah, that makes total sense.
1: But in the meantime, they're not shooting themselves in the foot they're Shooting other people in the foot and in the head and in the stomach, and wherever else you shoot someone in the process of beating them 51 to 13. Uh, it was, <laughs> it was funny. Is like, I, I keep expecting, you know, going into these games, I keep expecting to be hit with reality.
3: You know, this is gonna be the game, yeah, this right? will be
1: the competitive one. And, and, and I heard Chris Peterman of the, uh, Candlestick Chronicles podcast talking about the same thing like when I went into that game I expected it to be competitive you know the Cardinals or excuse me the Panthers had won four in a row uh, they had a, a really good defense you know they seemed like they had a lot of momentum going Christian McCaffrey's playing amazing football uh, quarterback Kyle Allen hadn't even turned the ball over yet and you know all this stuff they had a lot of stuff going for them and so I expected it to, the, at the very least be competitive and one of the things Chris said while we were on the sidelines before the games he said you know Eventually, having two backup tackles is going to bite you in the butt. You in the NFL, you would think so. And then, <laughs> and then the game starts, and it's nowhere near what we thought it was. And the Forty ers just obliterated the Panthers in a way that if this game was even more of a blowout than against the Bengals. And the Bengals are a, a bottom of the barrel team. You know, the, the I think the Carolina Panthers going into Sunday were even kind of in the in the hunt for a playoff spot they still are but i think they were already like you know one of those if the season ended today they would have been in the playoffs
3: um, yeah uh, you know i mean they were they were 4 and 2 at that time and and even now they i think they might still be a wild card team i think but you know just kind of you know heading into the game that it was there were a lot of people that were worried i wasn't worried um I kind of expected more of a, a two score, like a two two yeah a two score win, but I, I could have never imagined what what we saw. No,
1: and it the big thing with me is is the Panthers. Not only had they won four in a row, but they were coming off a bye week. They had two weeks to prepare for the Forty ers and it looked like the Forty ers had two weeks to prepare for the Cardinals. So it was. It was just the most, one of the most lopsided games I've seen in a long time. The 49ers just dominated in, in every single facet. And even the points that the Panthers did score, like when Christian McCaffrey rattled off his long run, uh, they missed an obvious holding call on a linebacker that was there to make the play, Quan uh, Alexander. And then even on the two-point conversion, it didn't look like he got in. like It didn't even look close. So even the points that they did get were kind of like, eh, okay, got it. So it was just about as bad as it gets. And I would say, as far as I'm concerned, the MVP, well, there's somebody else. And you mentioned him before the pod, Crocker, so I'll, I'll let you talk about him. But um, my MVP, at least, is is one Nick Bosa. Like, dude, what the what the hell did the 49ers draft second overall, man? Like, this guy is inserting himself into the conversation of, Forget Defensive Rookie of the Year. To me, right now, he's far and away the favorite for that. I feel like he could sit out the rest of the season and still win it. He's
3: in the yeah, conversation um, for
1: I, Defensive Player of the Year. Like,
3: Yeah, it, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, I, I think just kind of looking at him coming from Ohio State, it was like, you know what? This, this dude, is, he's, he is very talented, but it was like, I, I don't know how high his ceiling is, but I know he's going to be a really good pass rusher. Right? That—that that was kind of how I looked at it. Um, most people were like, "Well, he—he's not going to be as good his, as as good as his uh, brother." Um, you know, his brother was a better prospect or whatever. And you know, there were a lot of people that like Josh Allen. Oh, Josh Allen—he's the freakier athlete. Um, I think we were all wrong. <laughs> I, I mean, you—it's I mean, hard to kind of. Um, you know, it's not. He was drafted number two overall, so it's not like he was like slept on or anything like that. There were some people that felt like, oh, was well, he getting propped up because his last name is Bosa? But he just he's tremendous, and 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 the crazy thing is, a lot of this he's doing it coming off of a high ankle sprain where he's probably not even a hundred percent, and he's just. I, I mean, I, I don't think anybody can block him. <laughs> it's crazy because it's not. It's not like a. It's not like he's doing, like, Dwight Freeney spin moves or just, oh, I'm just super-duper fast off the edge like D Ford. He's just really good. Like, he, he's just good, man. Like, he's just good. <laughs> I mean, he's just, all... they can't, he does that little hand swipe thing where he just swipes their hands away and he just bends around the edge. And if he falls down, he gets up. He I mean, it's all, like, fast and kind of relentless. And I think the quarterback – feels it. Every time he's coming around that corner, whether he's going up or through somebody, pushing somebody back, whatever, the quarterback feels it and it makes him like you know, drop his eyes. And I, I think that's the the impact. I know I'm kinda of going on a rant here about you Bosa. You a rant about Bosa impact.
1: like for the next half an hour and we'll call it quits and, and we'll be good because I know that everybody <laughs> listening right now will want to hear it.
3: <laughs> yeah, the, the the impact that he's had, I mean I, I would this dude's the best player on the 49ers defense. That's the best defense in the NFL, right? He's the best yeah, player
1: right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, that's no, if there's one guy in the 49ers Twitter sphere, or whatever you want to say it, you know, the last person I'm going to want to slight is DeForest Buckner. I'm, I'm like one of the biggest DeForest Buckner fans there are, but uh, he, he, you know, and, and him and, Bosa have this, you know, it's called a symbiotic relationship where they both benefit from each other. And, you know, that's that's the way it's going right now. And I think Bosa is benefiting a lot more from the presence of Buckner. Uh, but at the same time, that's how good defensive lines work. You know, you have talent that has to be accounted for across the defensive line, and, and Bosa is doing a phenomenal job winning his matchups. And that's more than a lot of pass rushers around the NFL can say. A lot of the best pass rushers in the NFL are given one-on-one matchups pretty frequently, and they don't win. And, and Nick Bosa is winning those matchups more frequently than any other player in the NFL. Now of course defenses are gonna begin to adjust. They're gonna, you know, I think he's he's entering into that territory where defenses are no longer gonna say this is a rookie, just beat him. Uh, they're gonna have to start adjusting to what Nick Bosa is doing. But the problem with that is is you're leaving somebody like DeForest Buckner or Eric Armstead or D Ford, whoever somebody's getting getting less attention. And that's what the 49ers Yeah
3: that's what I was gonna say. It's like it's a lose lose situation. You can double uh, Bosa or chip him or whatever. But what's that gonna do f- for you know? You can't chip, can you chip D four too? Then at the same time, no. Can you can you double? You, you can only double what one or two guys. There, there's four guys. I mean, you 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 mentioned Bosa being the MVP of that game. I if if I'm going to kind of go against the grain a little bit, I mean. I'd say, you know, Eric Armstead is the runner up for that. And he was tremendous and he hasn't been able to be blocked. And he's somebody that has been more of a a run stopping specialist. And now, I mean, he has a career high in sacks, five and a half sacks through seven games. Um, I mean, he's playing tremendous. So it's tough, you know. You're seeing guys benefit off of they're just being so much talent, and we're we're a long ways removed from the days when Elmas Dumerville led the team in sacks with six and a half. Right?
1: No, that's yeah, that's nuts. What's what's amazing about it all is that. You, for so long during the offseason you talk, they, there was so much talk about you know how much of an impact adding good edge rushers will have you know the the impact that adding somebody like D Ford will have the impact of adding a Nick Bosa and you know there was there was always kind of like you you'd always have people saying oh, i don't think that's the case i don't think it makes that big of a difference you know there's always this that and it's like sure these players could all be coming into their own at the same time but it's way too much of a coincidence that the 49ers add a couple of premier edge rushers and everything goes off. You know, like it. all it took were a couple more pieces for Robert Sala, defensive coordinator, and, and everything is going off simultaneously. You know, there were so many people that were like, eh, you know, pass, you know, or coverage. I still want my corners, you know, even though, you know, I don't think the pass rush is going to help the cornerbacks in the secondary that much. And, you like I said, everybody is still playing at a higher level than they have in the past. But it's just everything is unfolding exactly how John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan hoped it would, you know. And that's why they went out and got all these guys. That's why you draft a Nick Bosa second overall, or and you don't trade back, despite the fact that they probably had a lot of offers. You know, you don't. You know, you don't worry about the second round pick when you're trading for a guy like D. Ford. It's just it's all coming together, which has yeah. been interesting. And to kind of jump over, we could talk about this obviously for way longer than we should, but on the offensive side of the ball, you had it. You had a, like Kyle Shanahan just put on this a master class. Like this, I don't even know what you, you know, I don't have the, the vocabulary to, to fully describe this, but he just put on display for the entire NFL. Here is how you run the ball, folks. Here is how it's done. And I'm going to do it with two backup tackles and my my. Highest-paid fullback in the NFL by a mile isn't even going to be in the game, and I'm still going to show you how to do this. Which is.
3: did you see Brian uh, uh, Baldinger's uh, breakdown of just kind of the little intricate things that Shanahan has thrown into his his uh, his run game that kind of shows like there's things that they're going to do off of what they're doing with the yeah, run action right now. Where
1: he would he yeah. would constantly show. He's like, hey, look at look where Jimmy's looking right now. They're looking yeah. over here because, yeah, was good dude, and Brian, if you don't watch Brian Baldinger on Twitter, I think his, his handle is at NFL. If you don't watch his breakdowns after the game, they're like my favorite thing, like on Monday. After
3: the game. How do you think the All-22 I don't so know, fast?
1: Man. The, the NFL, well, he, he actually does an official Baldy breakdown segment for the NFL. So I'm assuming if there is a time when the All-22 is ready but it hasn't been released to the public, I'm assuming they're going to give it to him first, so he can get his little head
3: start on the Dude, breakdowns. He, he had it. The game was over at 4 o'clock Pacific time. At 7 o'clock Pacific time, <laughs> he, he had those all 22 of them. I'm like, how the hell did right, he get it so right. fast? So he
1: does these amazing breakdowns. And obviously, the guy has so much passion and energy for football. And they're so much fun to look at. And what's funny is, despite the fact that these are like the best breakdowns and the most funnest breakdowns to watch, That I've ever seen. He's still doing it with a cell phone pointing at a computer screen. And like, it's the most like, like genuine breakdown because he just he doesn't care about the production value. He's not trying to, you know, download a screen recorder and figure out how to work it. He just wants to talk about football. And he had like seven or eight videos on the 49ers offense or not just the offense, but on the 49ers from their beat down on the Panthers. And they were so fun to watch. And like Croc was saying, like there's just so many videos where he's pointing out all the little things that go into the offense to a point where you can have one of the best linebackers in the game, Luke keekley on the Panthers, looking the completely wrong direction, going the wrong way. Like...
3: Uh, he was completely lost. Did you see him on the Debo touchdown? I mean, He was is-
1: so frustrated before <laughs> Debo even reached the end zone. He was already freaking out. Like he'd already turned around and was just like losing it, you know. And and, and just to rattle this off, and obviously the stats don't paint the picture because you have to see how these plays unfold to really, really appreciate them. But the, 40s ran, the 49ers ran the ball 38 times for 232 yards. That equals 6.1 yards per carry. So for every, they averaged a first down every two runs, and then they scored five times on the ground. Tevin Coleman, my runner-up for MVP right behind Nick Bosa, he rushed for 105 yards on 11 carries. So that's, 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 almost, that's 9.5 yards a carry. That's half a yard short of a first down with every single time he touched the ball. And he scored three touchdowns on the ground, and then he scored another on a little screen pass. So that dude was just amazing. And some of these plays are just awesome. Like, did you see when he talked about that one where they, they basically ran, like, a, a zone read right to Gerald McCoy? Like, dude, the yeah, way that play three, unfolded, yeah. I'm like, whoa. Like, it was just the weirdest thing to watch. This hole just magically appears, and the only person standing inside of it is Gerald McCoy. And they just run this – like, it, it's just unreal that you can have that kind of success in an NF against an NFL defense. Against a – I wouldn't say all-time great but a, a phenomenal defensive lineman like Gerald McCoy like it was just crazy man. I'm ranting now.
3: Yeah. Great great execution. Great execution by the 49ers running. Right, right. Now. and it,
1: it's it's it was just crazy. So it's one of those games like you know, gonna
3: you know. it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for teams man. It's going to be tough for teams, everybody talks about, oh, the passing game. When when, when the 49 need to pass, they'll pass the ball a lot. They'll, they'll throw the ball around, and Jimmy Garoppolo will do well. But how are you going to stop this run when it's this efficient? And all the 49 are going to do is get better because the guys that really make the run game go, I'm talking about Mike McGlinchey, who's like the best round-blocking tackle in the league. Like We're getting those guys back. We're getting Staley back, Juice back. What are you going to do? And I'm not saying like this team is just going to go undefeated, but I'm just saying it's going to be extremely difficult, extremely difficult to just stop this team, like to stop this run game and, you know, and force the 49ers to do something that they don't want to do. Like that. Cause that's how, you, that's how you're going to have to beat the Niners. You're going to have to force them to do something they don't want to do. And how are you going to do that? Even when you load the box, they they showed that, the 49ers, there was a high percentage of the runs. The 49ers were going against eight men in the box, and it did not matter because of the execution or, of it. And I saw and they,
1: this other cool video. I can't remember who it was by, where he they start out with against an eight-man box, but the amount of like pre-snap motion and misdirection that Kyle Shanahan puts into these running plays, like before the ball is snapped, He's taken an eight-man box and made it into like a six-man box. Like you know, they'll run like an orbit motion where the guy on the farthest left end, either you know, it could be a linebacker, it could be a safety, has come down. He has to respect that motion, so he'll kind of move to 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 that, and that takes one guy out of the box. Now you're at seven, and then they'll you know. The direction after, you know, maybe it's not before the snap, after the snap, the way the offensive line moves to one side, now then you've committed another linebacker to that direction because he's flowing with the offensive line. And now you've, like, they get to where they've got, like, where the play is going. They've got, like, three offensive linemen and two defenders. And, and it's it's all in a matter of, like, a second and a half. They've taken a stacked box and reduced it down to where they have a numbers advantage. And it's just crazy to watch. It's it's so far beyond any type of football that that I could comprehend on my own. You know what I mean? It's, it's easy to watch it and say, oh, I see why I did that. But there'd be no way if I could ever come up with this stuff on my own. Like, it's just, it's pretty amazing. To, it's been pretty amazing to watch. And obviously, we'd be remiss, especially with with Crocker on the line here if we didn't talk about Emmanuel mostly cuz you've been singing his praises for a long time man and this guy is gone out there in relief of Akella Witherspoon Spoon who sprained his foot a few weeks ago and he has been everything he needs to be and i would probably i think it's fair to say that he had his his best game of the season against the Panthers so i mean what is what's all that feeling like for you man seeing him come together like that
3: Wow, I think a lot of people like give me credit for it. Like I'm the one that well, I mean, like signed them. Like, I didn't, I didn't your sign tweets the and your breakdowns
1: <laughs> and your threads are the only reason he got to start. It has nothing to do with right. it, you know, <laughs> <it's> know, determination <laughs> and drive to get where he's at. I mean, John Lynch obviously reads your threads and was like, all right, let's give this guy a shot.
3: Well, well if he doesn't read right. he should. That's always, always clear. Yeah, but – um. You know, with Emmanuel Mosley, man, from day one, I'd say last year when um, I was like, you know what, I I think I like this Mosley kid more than Tarveris McFadden. I think he'll make it. People thought I was crazy. Um, But it it was his ability and it was his traits. And I remember going into this offseason, I had tweeted out, you know, the dark horse for, you know, making the 53-man roster is Emmanuel Mosley. And people were like, what? Oh, they just drafted Tim Harris from Virginia. He's going to make it like there's no way Mosley makes it. I'm like, you know, we'll see. I, I'm I'm a big believer in development and player development. And I just I felt like if the 49ers able to develop him into like a, a knowledgeable cornerback to go with his physical skills, because the dude's kind of a freak athlete. He's a super athlete. And I thought he had really good fluid movements. Um, I was like that that should be a good cornerback in the NFL. Well, you know, we get to training camp. And everything I thought I was gonna see, I saw. I saw really good movement skills. I saw really good coverage skills. Um, first day that I was out there, he had an interception and in team. Um, I thought he was tremendous and scrappy during uh, during one on ones. Um, he can he can line up outside. He can line up inside. And I'm like, man, this this dude, he he looks good. He got to uh, preseason. He looked good there. Um, I, I think. I just mentioned him being able to line up in the slot but that, like that's hard like that's difficult and if you can have somebody that's you know 5'11 and has those movement skills that speed that top end speed like that and and is able to line up in the slot as well you know, you're talking about Chris Harris type ability and there aren't a lot of guys that can line up inside and outside and do it very well and I think he's one of those guys man and um, I am happy to see everything kind of work out uh, and him playing well, you know, given his, given his opportunity. It, you know, it has people questioning, oh, what, what, what do you do with Akilah Witherspoon when he gets back in? You know, even Witherspoon, I mean, he was having the, you know, the start to this season. I mean, he he looked extremely confident. He looked really good. So, you know, cornerback, that was a position, position where a lot of people felt, hey, 49ers need to upgrade this position. I'm like, you know, hold on. I think there's some guys, there's some guys I like. Let's see how they develop. And we've seen how they play it out, man. That they, they look really good. They look strong, man. And uh, Mosley had a strong game, had an interception. Um he he's done very well. So yeah, I I'm pleased with you know what we've seen from him. Uh really all the, the, the entire secondary, really, I think has kind of gone underrated because of how good the 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 defensive line has played, but the secondary has played extremely well. And you know, they're they're benefiting off of the pass rush. Um, they're able to make take a little, you know, a little bit more chances, and um, just kind of react to things, man, and and know you're not really going to be able to do a double move on this because that pass rush is coming, man. They, yeah, they look good. Well, there's, there's good.
1: still a few more things I want to talk about with the secondary because you had a little interaction. On Twitter with a certain 49ers player that I want to talk about at least a little bit. Uh, but before we do that, I got to get our, our, get our sponsors out of the way. I got to give a shout out to those guys out there supporting this, supporting uh, the Blue Wire Network, because uh, they're the ones that allow us to be uh, be here doing what we're doing, talking about the secondary. So first things first, humans have been shaving for thousands of years, and the secret to a great shave, it hasn't changed much. The ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls or heated handles or neither do you. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge you to add gimmicky features to their razors. They focus on delivering what actually matters. Sharp, durable blades at a fair price. I love Harry because it gives me a close shave. I like to keep a beard, but I also like to keep it clean. So I need that. Do us a favor and check out Harry's backslash blue wire for your free trial today. Harry's is a return to the essential. Quality, durable blades at a fair price. Just two bucks. Two bucks per blade. Harry's is just superior, convenient. Blade refills are delivered directly to your door on your schedule with or without a subscription. And there's no risk for trying them out. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund period. It's easy to get listeners of striking goal can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com black backslash blue wire. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, with aloe to keep your skin hydrated and a travel blade to cover up eraser razor and dry and easy on the go. So go to harrys.com Wire, to start shaving better today. It's as simple as that. Get it done. Check it out. No risk. All right. And now another thing everybody knows, we're at the end of October. November's cruising around. That means the holiday rush is coming. And if you sell your stuff online, you better get ready with ShipStation. With more people buying online than ever before, including me, You have to be able to ship orders out quickly, efficiently, and affordably. But how do you keep track of all these orders, or decide which shipping carrier to use, or if you're getting the best rates? Luckily, ShipStation can help. With just a few clicks, you'll be managing orders, printing labels, and getting those products out the door and delivered in time for the holidays. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings... All your orders into one simple interface, interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your phone. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, and UPS. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solutions for you and your customer. They even offer big discounts on shipping costs. Now, any business can access the same postage discounts that are usually reserved for large, like Fortune 500 companies. You'll always know that you're getting the best deal. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates possible. Take the hassle out of holiday shipping this year. Let ShipStation help you handle it with ease. Just use our Striking Gold offer code from the Blue Wire Network, BLUE, B-L-U-E, to get a 60-day free trial. That's two months. Free, no hassle, stress-free holiday shipping. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in blue. B-L-U-E. ShipStation, make ship happen. Speaking of making ship happen, I wish I would just say the word, but whatever. Um, Richard Sherman got in your mentions, Croc. And you guys were talking about Emmanuel Mosley's interception and how he was kind of recognizing the route. And, uh, you know, while it obviously till, still takes a ton of skill, Sherman said – he essentially said it was a lot more simple than that and it was more about, you know, recognizing the route concepts, right?
3: Right. Well, yeah, uh, Richard Sherman, you know, we follow each other on Twitter, so that's pretty little, cool.
1: little humble brag but, uh, little Flex.
3: Yeah, you know, Richard Sherman, you know. But, yeah, no, you know, I, I know – like, I'm more of a tech technical person, right? So I typically kind of see what guys do or need to improve on with their technique. And I know how to teach them how to improve on those things. The thing that I'm not, like, super great at is understanding route concepts. I know the very, very basics. But when you start getting into, like, very specific things and what they're called, the names of them, and um, kind of how to anticipate it. Those are things that I, like, I I know some of it, but not, like, as much as someone like Richard Sherman. So, um, I saw that play with with Emmanuel Mosley, and I'm like, great anticipation, right? And, And what I meant by that was he felt something, and he reacted, and he didn't second guess what he felt. Now, what I didn't know was why or how he felt what he felt, and it has to do with film study and something we've seen from all the 49 cornerbacks this year um mostly all right so one they the panthers lined up it was like three three receivers to one side they had kind of a stack with two and three um one of the guys went out on like a little flat route so richard sherman knows if you get a flat route by two you're getting a curl by one see that's something i didn't know I know that you get, if something goes out, then you're probably, something's coming in, either a slant, dig, post, something like that. But he knew exactly what it was going to be. So if Richard Sherman knows, what do you think he's telling guys like Emmanuel Mosley? Hey, if you get this, expect this. And Mosley trusted what Richard Sherman has been telling them or whatever they've been going over. And he jumped it, man. And you could see, like, I mean, he, I slowed it down. He was jumping the curl route. Before the receiver was even right, stopping. he
1: started his he started breaking down and moving back towards the receiver before the receiver had even started breaking down in his curl. And I think you had
3: yeah, in slow motion you can see it right. very and well. I think
1: you had two receivers on the outside. The running back ran a flat. The number two receiver, the guy who's closest to the formation, ran like a seam and the safety i think carried him and emmanuel mosley just like he just looked like he was chilling like he he just cruised kind of back with the route and like we said started breaking down and came up and basically caught the ball for him like the ball wasn't it wasn't the best throw but it was thrown kind of right to about where the receiver should have been but emmanuel mosley got there first and and picked off the ball that's it that's about as clean as an interception can get you know it's it's not one of those interceptions like the cornerback didn't see you crossing underneath a route or something like that. It was one of those, he ran the route for the receiver type of deals, which is to me, it's not the most disrespectful thing to do. To me, it's the most like, uh, like to what you're kind of saying, Croc, the most technically proficient thing you can do. Like in that in that rep, you knew you were so comfortable in what you were doing that you were able to run the route for the receiver. Like you've gone now, you've gone from reacting to what the receiver is doing to being proactive to what you know the receiver is about to do, and that you know is something where that that only the best corners will do because they've studied film ad nauseum, they've studied players you know, through, into the late hours of the night type of deal, you know, it, it, you know, and you could correct me if I'm wrong there, but it's just doing stuff like that where it's not a play that's necessarily based off athleticism. Obviously it is, but it's just, you've, you've allowed yourself to become a mental student of the game and you're pulling off plays that, that a lot of other NFL players are not going to pull off because they're not willing to put in that kind of, that kind of work.
3: Right, and, and that's the benefits of playing with Richard Sherman. You know, later in the game, Richard Sherman had an interception. I think a lot of people look at that play like, oh well the, the, the ball was thrown right to Richard Sherman. But if you see what Richard Sherman did prior to, you know, um being able to, to get that, that interception, that was another one where he, he said it he said it in the in it was either in my mentions or um Antonio Comarty who um, you know, I was, I was on the jets with Antonio Camardi. He's in my mentions a lot too. Um, I think they were both talking to each other about it. And, uh, he said it, he said it like, I told the team I was going to pick that off on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> He's on Wednesday. Wednesday I said, I was going to pick that ball off. So it, I, I think everybody, well, the ball went right to Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman knew he was squeezing. If you look at him, he too was getting ready to break. He was like, I'm uh, like, this is it. Like, I, I said I was going to pick this off on Wednesday, and they're, they're doing it. Uh, and you could see he's trying to like fight off jumping it too quick because he wants the quarterback <laughs> to throw the ball. Now, once he goes to jump it, the quarterback kind of threw it behind the receiver, and that's why Richard Sherman ended up there's There ended up being such a big distance between him. And well, it almost looked like like DJ
1: um, I think it was DJ Moore running that route. I can't, I can't remember who it was, but it almost looked like he had a little bit of a miscommunication, or maybe he ju- he adjusted his route in a way that that Kyle Allen didn't expect him to, and it was almost like Richard Sherman knew what DJ Moore was supposed to run, or where he was supposed to be on that play. And he just was there first. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah, yeah. Um I'm gonna look at it again so I can see exactly, but I just remember looking at Richard Sherman and being like, "Dang, like he was itching to jump right. that route." And he was, yeah. He
1: was exactly where the ball was, and it, that's what I mean. It's like it almost seemed like, like Richard Sherman knew their routes better than the guy running him did, and that's.
3: It's almost unfair how the 49ers got the three interceptions.
1: <laughs> <Right>. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you got both you know, That's and I just ridiculous. Like that's that's just right. stupid. You don't see that very often.
3: All three of the routes, I, I think that just like 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 Jimmy Garoppolo, he'll he'll give you like a gimme interception. These were no gimme interceptions. These were interceptions um, where you know it's like we just have better players than you. And I, I don't think it mattered if it was you know you know Kyle Allen or if it were Aaron Rodgers. These guys were jumping the routes. The guy was. The, the the tackle or whatever was trying to cut block Nick Bosa and he disregarded that and jumped up and intercepted the ball mid mid throw like you know it was just things where what what can you right. do you know right. what can you well do? yeah
1: what can you do when a when a, uh, you know, a six foot five defensive end jumps right over his chop block and then jumps right in front of you as you're trying to hit somebody in the flat. You know, I'm like, what do you And then he catches it. It's not just, you would think and the guy in that position would have batted it down and just been like, yeah, let's go, you know rile up the crowd but he caught it like he threw that like three feet from you and he still catch it you know that that ball had some serious zip on it and Nick Bosa just snagged that thing out of the air probably should have took it for six but even still you know I guess I probably should have but he you know that's that's not realistic he's obviously not the fastest player on the field at that point but it was still so impressive to watch but It's, it's just been crazy how well the 49ers are playing and they're playing extremely sound football. They're playing in, like we're saying, in ways where, you know, they're putting in the work. They're not just making these, these freak plays where it's, you know, just somebody jumping up and one hand in something and, you know, probably not a play that they should have made stuff like that. They're putting in, they're making plays where it's obvious that they're, they're hitting on all cylinders and they're putting in the work they need to put in. Um, Another interesting performance from the, from the afternoon was Jimmy Garoppolo's who, I think – and I might have also heard this on the Candlestick Chronicles podcast. I think Jimmy Garoppolo's 18 of 22 is like his – as far as completion percentage goes, I think that's like 81%. I think that might have his best game with the 49ers or best game of his career as far as completion percentages go, which – and he had a pretty good game. He threw for 175 yards and two touchdowns and an interception that, for me, floats somewhere between the line of shouldn't have thrown it slash – if the play would have developed just a little bit differently, uh, he probably would have been fine or the play probably would have been fine. What happens is George Kittle ran like a little crossing route. Um, Luke Keekly was right on him, just right behind his kind of his back hip. And right as George Kittle flashed open right in front of Jimmy Garoppolo, like there's even like this little hole in the offensive line, right where George Kittle's coming across the formation. Um, and he's, he's got, Luke Hickley behind him. I mean, like I said, pretty close to his hip, but he's behind him and on it near his back hip. So there's still an entire person to throw to and a window to hit. Um, right as Jimmy Garoppolo sees that, and, and I, I'd also have to look back at this play because I know Dante Pettis was open. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo pretty much comes off his first read and goes to Kittle, and Kittle starts fading upfield, almost like anticipating getting the ball, and he wants to start turning it into yards after the catch. Well, the one or two yards that Kittle fades upfield Leaves somebody like Luke Keekley, who's an elite linebacker and who was already pretty good in coverage, the space he needed to kind of take Kittle's place on that on that line and jump right in front of the pass. And I, like I said, I was I kind of defended Jimmy a little bit right when it happened because I'm always going to criticize someone running the route if I can. Because that's what I, you know, I'm a receivers coach. I played receiver in high school and all all my entire football career was receivers. Uh, I've done a lot of studying of, of how to run routes and stuff, just whether it be coaching or anything in the meantime. And whenever I coach my receivers, I tell them whenever you're running an out, an outbreaking route, your route needs to be, or an out where you're beginning to go away from the cornerback, uh, quarterback, your route needs to either be flat or at the very least, it should actually come back just a little bit. Because... Um, and, and as a DB, you would know this because you know, the opportunities that wide receivers can create for you. If you don't do that, if you don't stay flat or you don't come back just a little bit, I'm talking like, like a quarter of a yard, half a yard, uh, then you're creating windows for a defender to essentially take your place on the play and, and take the ball. And, and and the ball was a little bit thrown a little bit behind Kittle and to where it was easy for Kiki to, uh, to snag but if, if Kittle would have stayed flat Keekley would have been forced to either stay behind him or you know on that back hip and you at the very least you're the most you've got an incompletion because Keekley's there to contest the catch or Kittle catches it and Keekley attacks him immediately or at the best Kittle catches it and Keekley can't make the tackle and falls off Kittle and then Kittle does his thing um, but since Kittle faded upfield a little bit and Jimmy in the press conference afterwards was like no 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 it wasn't his fault that was on me shouldn't have thrown it uh, and that's what every good quarterback should do um, if Kittle hadn't have faded upfield a couple yards, then Keekly would have never been able to be there. But, you know, all these factors – and this isn't me saying this was not Jimmy Garoppolo's fault. This is George Kittle's fault. It's just understanding the minutiae of every play and how football in individual moments can be broken down into inches and, you know, less than yards and feet and inches and all this stuff. And if Kittle would have stayed flat on that play, then it would have been a different play. But that's, that's just how it is. And Jimmy Garoppolo is – You know, as he gains experience, he's going to be able to see things like that happening at a slower rate and maybe not through that pass. But to me, I just love looking at breaking down and looking at football like that because it's, you know, it's just the little things you can do because running routes and playing corner, cornerback and playing defense and even playing quarterback is it's all an art form, in my opinion, you know, and, and over time you become a better artist and that's just how it all works. So. You know, but Jimmy Garoppolo had a really good game. He did everything he needed to do to put the 49ers in the position he did. He made some freaking awesome throws, that one where he kind of sidestepped the pass rush and then dipped his shoulder and let the guy come by and then found George Kittle over the middle. Uh, that was a pretty awesome play. And, um, you know, he, he found Emmanuel Sanders, brand-new 49ers receiver, four times on five targets for 25 yards and a touchdown. I think that, you know, as unimpressive as that stat line is, 25 yards, I think that there were at least two or three third-down conversions in there. Which is, which is always a positive sign that this, it's this dude's first game with the offense and Jimmy Garoppolo already wants to throw to him on third down. you know, And that's exactly why they picked him up. They're like, we need a guy. It's third down. If the defense focuses on George Kittle, who the hell are we throwing it to? And that is now Emmanuel Sanders, which is perfectly fine. We talked a lot about him last episode. He's freaking awesome. He's going to be great. Um, I, I wrote uh, earlier this week that that game from Sanders was just like a little preview. Like, you know, and he, and he ran a couple of routes and got open and, and Jimmy Garoppolo missed him on that one throw where he, you know, it would have been a much bigger gain. um, But, yeah, so I'm I, we should we should at least touch on the Cardinals a little bit. Right. I mean, that's kind of like our, our role in this in this world is to to preview the game that the and that's the reason we're and I haven't even mentioned this. It's my bad. That's the reason we're recording this on. Uh, on a Tuesday rather than our normal Wednesday because the 49ers play on Thursday. So we wanted you guys to at least have a little bit of time to digest this episode. So we still have about 10 minutes before Kevin would literally hijack this pod and start yelling at me. So at first just thought, what it, are you worried about the Cardinals at all, Kroc?
3: Well, I'm I'm not because one, they've, you know, and they, they continue to struggle with offensive line um, you know, protection, like, you know, their ability to, to protect their quarterback on a consistent basis. Um, so, obviously, that's the 49ers, like, strongest point on the entire team is, you know, uh, getting after opposing quarterbacks. So, you know, just from that standpoint and kind of, I, I okay, I, who was I, I think I, I don't know if it was Steve Young or who, but I was listening to someone on KBR, and what they said is games, like, when you see the 49ers Pass rush, and you're watching it on film. The 49ers win the game on Wednesdays. <laughs> they, win, they win. the games on Wednesdays because people see that, and it's like, golly, like what are we gonna do? Well, you even, even Cliff Kingsbury,
1: that? it said in an interview, I think it was today, like with the way they're playing playing right now, I don't know how to slow that down. Like I, I'm pretty sure that was almost the exact quote. Like, like, and that's just a football coach being honest and respecting what he's seen on tape. Like, at that point in the week, they might not know how they're going to slow that down. That doesn't mean they're not going to have a plan going into, into the game. But, like, you know, that's just a, a an interesting thing for a football coach to say because it's just honest. And I feel like Kyle Shannon would, would be the same type of coach. Like, like, girl, I don't know how to slow that down. Do you? Like, these guys are destroying offensive lines. So, you know, and, and that's – it's a good point that you say that. But, yeah, the pass for yeah, sure. What, keep keep then- going. Keep going.
3: On top of that, they don't have a running back to take the pressure off of the the quarterback in the passing game. Um, they, you know, they they've had, I think it was, his name is Edmonds. He went down. John uh, Johnson, um, you know, their main running back, like he went down. Uh, you know, they they just got Kenyon Drake. You know, and it's like, okay, how how fast can he catch on, you know, to this offense and and, and this playbook? Maybe quick, but maybe not quick enough. And he, he's a dynamic back. Um, he can run the ball well. He can catch the ball well at the backfield, but he's just not getting there. So who's going to take the pressure off of Kyler Murray? Is it going to be your receivers? I mean, you know, how is, is Larry Fitzgerald going to be able to um, change the game? I, I don't think he's that guy anymore. So, you know, who are you going to count on? A- Andy Isabella? To, I don't even know. You is know, he, is he even playing?
1: I, I don't even see him on – on the stat sheet from that last game, he might be on injured reserve or something.
3: No, he, he's he playing. He catch a ball the last game. I, mean, he's just, I guess he's just not catching oh, any bad. passes. But, so if he's um,
1: if his bells is listen to this, I don't mean any, any disrespect.
3: Right. So I know he's probably like using this as bulletin <laughs> board material. But, um, you know, who's going to take the pressure off of Kyler Murray? And then defensively, um, I think one underrated aspect of what's going on with the 49ers is their abilities to cover up these tackles. I think everybody's looking at it like, Oh, Justin school and, um, Brunswick, like they're, they're, they're playing well. Um, you know, the left and right tackle reserves, but to me, I think it's all Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo. And I, I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo trust these guys at all. I think that's why we see him pressing a little bit at times. um, uh you see uh uh Kyle Shanahan trying to do a whole lot of things to get the ball out of uh Jimmy Garoppolo's hands quickly. I think people think like, Oh, uh Kyle's trying to get the hand, uh, ball out of his hands quick to to, you know, help Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I don't think that's the case. I I I think it is to help Jimmy, but not to save Jimmy from itself. I think to save Jimmy from our tackles who they are getting beat. Jimmy is having to throw a lot of passes off of his back foot, um Jimmy Garoppolo is having to, uh, you know, he's getting guys pushed into his face, pushed into his lap. He's having to duck under stuff. And, uh, you know, he had to shake three guys on one play in in Washington. Like, those are things that are kind of happening. And Jimmy Garoppolo now is starting to kind of throw passes, I think, a little bit before he wants to throw them. And to eliminate that, I think the best thing to do is just run the ball 40 times a game. And that's what the 49ers have done. So, um, you know, you have a guy like Chandler Jones – uh on on Arizona uh he, he can he can be a problem uh so far Kyle Shanahan has Shanahan has done a great job neutralizing opposing uh really good edge rushers but Jimmy Garoppolo is taking some hits um if you remember back to the Steelers game i mean they were all over Jimmy Garoppolo it was two good rushers and uh, DuPree and and TJ Watt but it it hasn't been as good as i think most people want us to believe Uh, jimmy garoppolo he's under heat more times than not and and we saw it on the safety where you know he drops back and immediately he's getting pressure to where he can't even think about how to get the ball out of his hands um i think that's with what he's kind of done and you look at 18 for 22 i think that's that's been an underrated part of not just his game, but Kyle Shanahan's play card. Right. as and, well. Right,
1: and they, there's not a whole lot the Arizona Cardinals are bringing to the 49ers that the 49ers have to be worried about. One downside to the 49ers is I know that uh, Raheem Mostert is currently dealing with, uh, I think it's a hamstring issue or a quad somewhere in there. Uh, I know that um, Matt Breida, has, uh, he's currently dealing with an ankle injury. Uh, neither of them are practicing right now, and that's kind of an issue, the fact that Tevin Coleman uh, – Jeff Wilson Jr also had a stinger from the game now that that probably won't linger to where he's he can't play against uh, the Cardinals, but, you know, the 49ers bread and butter right now, which is running the football, they've got some injuries there. And so, that you know, that kind of – that might have some some implications on how they approach the game and what Jimmy's doing and stuff. And, and what's nice, though, is that, that Kyle Shannon has a running game where, where Debo Samuel can become like a running back, you know, and they can use that quick passing game and they can bring Debo Samuel in on motions and make him part of the thing. I mean, he scored a 20-yard a touchdown a touchdown run against – Uh, the Panthers so there's the good thing is Kyle Shanahan is so smart and so self-aware that he can adapt to all of these things just through his play calling so that's you know it's an interesting way to think about it the 49ers aren't going to be coming to this super healthy Um, I started to write today that I thought that Staley was going to return for this game I thought he was close to returning against the Panthers and I figured they kind of held him off and they were going to play him against the Cardinals but it sounds from what Shanahan said today unless they're doing a little gamesmanship with with saying that Staley's not going to play and saying he's doubtful, even though he is going to play. I, I don't think that's the case. I think they're just planning on giving him a little bit more time. Uh, he's supposed to come – the 49ers are – it sounds like Shanahan's expecting to get Joe Staley, Mike McGlinchey, Kyle Juszczyk, and Akello Witherspoon all back before the 49ers' Week 11 game against the uh, Seattle Seahawks on Monday Night Football, which will be – that will be a hell of a game. That will be a, an atmosphere, one for the books. Um, but that's I mean that's got to be an intimidating thought for other teams like that's four starters right there that the team is getting back and they're seven and0 like <laughs> you know good luck but Kyler Murray's an interesting quarterback I think he presents his own challenges you know it's it's, it's good that they're facing him before they face Russell Mills, Wilson type of deal because um, he can scramble and he can run I think he's like their third leading rusher on the team I um, he also that, you know, it's a double edged sword, though, because a running quarterback also wants to extend plays. And I feel like that kind of plays into the 49ers hands right now, especially with how well they've managed to collapse pockets, both from the middle and from the edges. So it's not going to be a lot of space for Murray to go. And he's going to be looking for those pockets and they might not be there like they have in other games. The Cardinals have one of the one of the worst offenses in the NFL. I like 22nd in total offense. The defense is 29th. Everything about this game says the 49ers should handle them just like they handled the Panthers. But the NFL is weird like that. You know, teams like the Cowboys. It's
3: still a short week. It's still a short week. It's still in the away game. Um, The road teams haven't done as well um, on these Thursday night games. And, it seems like Kyle Shanahan and, and Salah and those guys have done a great job of getting this group of 49ers ready week in and week out. But, uh, you know, and, and I'm not trying to just find something to kind of nitpick about, but, you know, just looking at it from, you know, a non-objective perspective, it, you know, there are a few things that are kind of stacked against the 49ers right. just and, that's,
1: and, you know, that's when you see – how great teams can be. Can they come on a short week and do the same thing against a team that they should beat? We'll see. The Cardinals have beaten the 49ers eight times in a row. For some reason, the 49ers just haven't been able to beat the Cardinals. And sometimes in those losses, the Cardinals have been the better team. And sometimes in those losses over the past few years, it's felt like the Cardinals were the inferior team, but the 49ers still kind of found a way to lose to them. So, this is one of those cases where the 49ers are far and away the better team, but it's any given week in the NFL, especially within a divisional matchup, where and, and every year, teams that sh- that whatever whether they go to the Super Bowl or whatever they do throughout the season every year, teams lose games they shouldn't lose. The Dallas Cowboys, who are a very good team right now, lost to the New York Jets. And, you know, they probably shouldn't have lost that one. It was just sometimes that happens. So I'm not sitting here jinxing the 49ers. I'm not going to tell you to knock on wood. I think the 49ers are the very obvious favorite. And everything the Cardinals do kind of play into the 49ers' hands. They can't run the ball very well. Their receivers are okay. Christian Kirk's been decent. But the 49ers have an insane pass rush and the – Cardinals offensive line hasn't been great so everything about this game kind of plays into the hands of the 49ers it's just a matter of them executing on a short week and Richard Sherman couldn't even wait until after the game to mention it the 49ers were breaking it down after their win in the locker room and Richard Sherman said hey great teams find a way to do it on a short week and we got a short week so let's go do it again so it's very much on the players minds it's not like they're sitting there unaware of the fact that they've got to play a game in four days so they're all aware of it. It's just a matter of, of execution. And that's what Kroc was saying earlier in this pod is the 49ers have been so good and they were so good against the Panthers because they were just executing so well. And if they go into uh, Arizona and execute, then they're going to win. And then they'll win easily. But, you know, like I said, NFL is weird. NFL's weird. Kroc, you got anything else to add? We're, we're already over uh, Kevin's time limit. But I don't care because, you know, I love Kevin. But it's all about, it's all about striking gold.
3: <laughs> no, nah, I'm good, man. Um, uh, no, nah, I'm good, man. Just ready, you know, watch some game. Watch I some the only, the on only plus side
1: to a short week, and this is from a very selfish onlooker's perspective. I mean, you don't have to wait long to see the 49ers play again. They're going to play, uh, uh when you're listening to this, they're going to play tomorrow. So that'll be fun. I, I say when you're listening to this, as if I know you're going to listen to it Wednesday. But if you're listening to this, you know the 49ers are playing really soon. So that's always cool. Um, yeah, and then you the 49ers kind of get a, a, like a half a bye week because they go from playing on Thursday night football to they're not playing again until Monday. So they don't, you know, that's kind of like a a, a bye week for for a team, which is nice. But
3: you give you give you give uh, Kyle Shanahan some extended time to prepare for Seattle. That that can be that can right, be trouble for they, them. They know more than anybody. That on Kyle night Shanahan football? with a good
1: team can give it to the Seahawks.
3: Yeah, man, and Monday night football at, at that—that's uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: gonna be a fun one, man. I'm looking forward to it because in my in my heart and at my core, I'm a football fan, you know. And and just knowing that you get to see a game like that just gets me jacked up. Just gets me jacked up. But um, all right, so we got to wrap it up. And one thing I want to do is I want to give a shout out because I know over the last couple episodes, we've gone pretty long, well over an hour. And I've mentioned it towards the end of those episodes that if you're still listening to this and you're enjoying the fact that this is a longer episode, trust me, we're not making some crazy push for longer episodes. We get what Kevin's vision is and he's been a mastermind so far. Um, but I appreciate the g- fact that you guys have listened to those. You've jumped on Twitter. You've mentioned them to us. You've jumped on the, uh, the uh, at least on iTunes. I saw re- uh, positive reviews saying I enjoy the longer episodes. I appreciate that. Um, Whether or not it's a longer episode or not, keep giving us love. Whether it's on Twitter, you can find me at Rob underscore louder. You can find Eric at Eric underscore Crocker. Um, Keep giving us love. Keep talking to us. Uh, We'll do another mailbag episode soon where we're kind of answering all your questions. Uh, But it was just good to mention that at the end of these podcasts and then hear you guys come along on Twitter and in the reviews, just leaving us five stars and giving us nothing but positive feedback. So I appreciate you guys for being here. You no know, Crocker appreciates it too, obviously. Um, but we have to roll out. It's our time. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to see what the 49ers put together on, on Thursday. And I can't wait to talk to you guys about it again. Um, but as always, I appreciate you guys being here. We wouldn't be able to do it without you. And this is striking gold signing off.